Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages. Today is a fantabulous day. It's such a great day. I just made up a word, but let me tell you why else it's a great day. You've got friends out there all over the world, and the use of social media allows you to connect with those friends. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Reach out to someone today and say, hey, friend, I'm glad you're in my life. Remember, folks, don't get caught up in the little things that you cannot control. That's just wasted energy. Now let's get this Thursday party started. It's Thirsty Thursday. Woohoo! It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. Happy Thursday to you folks. It is a beautiful day here in the studio. We have Frackleberry Hound right down by our feet. We have Sterling with us. My name is Jason Spees, and Sterling was so inspired by our shell talk yesterday where we're going to create a shell company, a shell corporation, if you will, because we're so inspired by what's happened over the past year with the way businesses have been able to get money from the government and the way that banks are giving out money to these big corporations and companies and et cetera, that we need to start a shell company. I've always wanted to. Yeah, we need to get a piece of that fat money cake. So that's actually what we're going to start off doing right away. That's how hot this topic is here for The Crude Life. we got all kinds of emails that came in. Studio at thecrudelife.com. They came in all about this. But first, before we get to the Shell Company stuff, you've got your notes down, I see. I just want to give a shout-out to Titan Solutions. Hey, Titan Solutions, thanks for being our sponsor today. Titan Solutions, do you know much about Titan Solutions? They're out of Colorado, but boy, they work down in the Permian. And they started in Weld County, fourth generation oil and gas. So they've got all kinds of knowledge when it comes to the culture, but also the whole supply chain. And that's what they do. They do sanitation station, lights, matting, all kinds of different stuff. If there's anything that's involved outside of the actual operator, they probably do it at Titan Solutions. So I just talked to Heath Holloway, their president CEO. He had so- shoulder surgery. Ouch. So shout out to Heath. Happy be recovery better. to you. Maybe we our shell company can do something with... Uh, hey, charitable things are tax deductible. Oh, now you're getting... I, I like the idea of tax deductible. Yeah. Charity, not so much. All right. I'm okay. not a CPA, but I do read Wikipedia. I just want to quote... Steve Carell from The Office, Michael Scott. There's no <laughs> proof that charity works, <laughs> so we can't afford the rights. So we gotta we gotta reenact right, it ourselves, yeah. and we can't say the exact words. So we gotta paraphrase. Anywho, uh, also Urban Legends coming up next. Uh, coming off of our conversation yesterday about our candy bits, yeah, some interesting history there. There was some urban legend talk that mm-hmm. just kind of sprouted out. And so I thought it'd be fun to go over some urban legends from our past. Remember, he's sitting by the old campfire talking about the hook hand oh, yeah. coming out. So I thought we'd go through a list of some of the popular okay. ur- urban legends. Have you that, checked on the children? That kind of thing. That kind of yeah, stuff. Sure, so we'll, we'd like to have some fun, maybe well, scary a little and bit. And with this one, it actually tied to, you know, there was financial loss 
involved from that urban legend of Mikey, of with, Mikey the pop with, rocks. with the pop rocks, right? Yeah. And anyway, so shell companies. Let's talk about the shell company for a second. This is a segment here on the crude life, which is going to be a reoccurring segment, and we're going to track it. So we're going to create a business plan off of a business plan that we're going to purchase. Yeah, the whole idea is uh, is that you would like to be wealthy with the minimal amount of work. That's, That's the directive you've given me. So a shell company seems to be maybe a good place to start. There's not a lot to set it up. There's shell. very shell, mm-hmm. shell, very low cost, and you don't really have to do anything. Right. And mm-hmm. so you've been able to figure out a way to acquire through your vast Network. connection. Network. Whether it be the Aramco Brats or maybe some other walk of life I don't know about yet from you. And these are expatriates from the oil and gas industry, you know, and just a silent mafia. There's a place which... I know exists because I've talked to some of these expats and they say it's real of this. In my mind, I'm picturing this like warehouse and there's like these, these shelves of old business plans and bankers boxes with floppy disks. And some of them have microfish, microfish overnight kinkos to the modern day flash drives and PowerPoint presentations. So, in some areas, you don't know what you're getting, but you do know you're getting a business plan. Right. So it's like a the warehouse at the end of Indiana Jones yes. for failed dreams. Shattered dreams. <laughs> shattered dreams. But you know what? You know, one person's shattered dream is another person's instant wealth. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, I and really so, admire your get rich quick scheme here. And my understanding is, is that you get to see the cover of the business plan, but that's it. And a name. You get well, a name. If, yeah, it's, you, if it's on the cover. Name, that's about it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> what you're buying is potential. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of the legwork has been done because yeah. obviously you have to go update it. Mm-hmm. Well, I... Well, see, what I'm looking at for you right now is yeah. maybe a shell company that's been around for 30 years or so that's not doing anything right now. You buy that. You can say, hey, we've been in business since 1978. Oh, wow. Those exist? That's one of the reasons. So they have companies that have actually been in business, but they really didn't do much? Yeah, I think they actually call those shelf companies. No kidding. That's what I'm here. I'm I'm just learning as you are. I wonder if they have any zombie companies. Zombie corporations. Those are ones that take in money or don't take in money. Right, but they exist. They exist. Right, so okay. Most of the auto auto industry right now. I would like a zombie company. No, you don't want one of those. What do you mean? They take in money and they don't exist, you know? Yeah, but then people expect results eventually. You want something that just is a funnel. There was the deal breaker. I do not want to work or have results. I want to make a six-figure, seven-figure salary. Okay. Okay. All right. I want a nice title. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I don't want to produce anything, and I don't want to do any services. Being your financial planner is a lot of fun. Okay. So you're telling me that these things exist out there. They do exist. With just a little bit of work in the upfront. You know what? All you got to do is give me your ID. So step one. Acquire business plan. Yes, slash shell corporation. And according to yesterday, my notes, step two, magic. Yes, or miracle. Okay. We would oh, accept see, either. Now, miracle. Now we got magic and miracle. See, you're already <laughs> making it work. I'm not. I'm magic. Okay. Step three, profit. There we go. I'm sticking to my business plan, which I accepted. Yep. Step one, buy someone else's labor. Step two. Magic happens. Step three, 
Sit back and profit. Buy my island. Exactly. Yeah, I guess that's kind of step four. Okay. Kick up feet. So what do you got for it? What what did you come up with today? Okay, so today you had some notes. And what was your notes? Oh, well, you know, I was just thinking about some different ways we might be able to uh, turn this Shell Corporation into an entity that is too big for the federal government to allow to fail. I suppose there are different avenues of Shell companies. Like there's the Enron method. Okay. Shells within shells. And then you've got, I was going to say, you've got just a standard shell, but then you've got shells within shells, Mm -hmm. but then you've got the shareholder shell company, okay? The government teeth-sucking company. Right. Okay, so which, which one are you? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on the government teat one. The too big to fail would be my Okay, my you want to do a too big to fail one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my idea is that we need to make Jason the business, whatever that ends up being. That needs to be so big that you get automatic money every time there's a bailout. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. every time that the economy goes near near a recession, I want to be on the front of yeah, the line. Right. And yeah. in the last but, decade, but, that's but happened, what, three times? I don't want to be shamed. No. I don't. want to be revered. I want people to kiss my ass. And I want people to tell me I should get more money. Well, I mean, if they're not groveling, what's the point? So can we get that? I like that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board for the too yeah, big to I fail I see a model. combination of crowdfunding with shell company equal profit. That's where I'm at right okay, now. Okay, so I like this. And you're telling me that these business plans exist or that's part of the magic step? Well, that might be part of the magic step. Damn you it. don't want to know the details. <laughs> Damn it. I told you there'd be no math. I know. The middle part sounds like a lot of work. Ah, you okay. don't worry about that. Um, right now, I'm on step three of the process that says find a patsy or corporate officer. So, that one's, yes. Yeah, we're going to be looking into that a little bit more. So um, Patsy is, you, you, every good shell company needs a Patsy. Yeah, I think that's a technical term. Right. Yeah. And, and you pointed out yesterday that there's apparently good shell companies. That's apparently they are used for legal things. Which I call a rumor, but you call real. So, well, okay. that's what we're going to be doing. This is going to be nice and legal. So when I, I, by the way, I did a little bit of research myself. Really? I typed in Google. Shell Company. And after I filtered through the energy company, Shell Corporation, I found the Wikipedia page. You are tireless. And I read the first sentence. That's all the further I got. (laughs) Well, you're informed. Go ahead. A Shell Corporation is a company or corporation that exists only on paper and has no office and no employees, but may have a bank account or may hold passive investments or be registered or be registered owner of assets such as intellectual property or ships. Okay. Can we get into ships? No, no, no. I think we should do intellectual property. Your brain is going to be the asset. Okay. I don't really want to be you that don't involved. Wanna, you, you're talking about product? You want to take care of ships? No, we're not taking care of anything. We have no office and no employees. Other people are doing that. Is that the magic step? That's the magic step. Okay, cool. We're just a magic wand. Right. 
Yeah, that's whoosh, all. A little hand wavy. So that's that's what you told me you'd figure out. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm just, all I did is read the first sentence, See, this pal. is the trouble when you start to educate yourself. I, I'm not sure why they threw ships in there, but if it's an option, I'd rather yeah, have I love a ship. how the two options were intellectual property or giant frigging ships. That's what I'm saying. So I made a choice. I made my choice, ships. Yeah. And you didn't even like my choice. I'm so sorry. I mean, we can't even decide on what our product I is. I thought we were looking at zero life. Ability here. This is why I don't want a product. I told you I don't want a product. And look at that. I even tried to trick myself into right getting a out product. of the gate. You wanted ships. So well, yeah, that's why we got to keep you away from the internet most of the time. Okay, so we do have some different avenues to take. We got the too big to fail, which is a great one, but that probably might require shareholders. You know what my my idea just off the top of my head would be you find people out there that like us got zero to little help from the government whether we were small business owners or not and we get them all together and we form that shell company and we become just so large that we have to get money when there's a payout. And by the way, another reason why we're doing this is because last week January 8th well all the yeah, Insurrection well, else was, was going on. around, yeah. Congress banned all anonymous shell companies. Anonymous. Okay, most people don't know that. I didn't know that. Okay, this so... This is just last week. This, this is, is just last okay. week. Okay, this is why I'm ramping this up. Okay. Because I want to buy one that maybe fell under that radar. Something that's grandfathered in, maybe. So if there's any anonymous okay. shell companies that we can continue to hide under... Mm-hmm. You want to find them. We can do that because... On Friday, January 8th, 2021, the U.S. Congress banned all anonymous shell companies. Wow. So there we go. All right. See, they're just making it harder on us. I know, man. So, But I think that we'll be able to find a nice business plan. You know, preferably be. not on a floppy disk. <laughs> Although, you know what? It, th- some things that are so old are so good. Well, you never know. You might open one up and it's got a golden idea and another one might just say bird internet. Bird internet. <laughs> that would be a pretty good one. Kenneth is the CEO. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. You know, it would be interesting to see what one person could do with a shell company. You know, really... And that's why I'm very excited about this. And people think I'm joking. I'm not joking. No, I can see it in your eyes. Oh, actually, no, I'm I doing this. I can see you. Yeah. This is going to be, we're, we're doing this. We're, we're, we are going to create a shell company. And damn it, I don't want one employee. And I don't want one office. And I don't want one piece of responsibility. And I know we need a Patsy, but it sounds to me like it's an office administrator consultant. Because sure. according to Wikipedia, you don't have any employees. I think it's just somebody that has to set up an account. Do we know anybody who's launched a successful shell company? You know what? I'm going to find a guest. We'll bring them on the morning show. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's written a book on shell companies. Yeah. Why did they do it? To for help us. No, 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 no. I'm like questions for them is what I'm thinking. Oh, whatever, man. I just want to do an Ocean's Eleven on the marketplace. That's all. <laughs> And, and the more research I can do. But legally. No, I understand. Legally. Hustle or got to hustle. Legally, man. This is all, that's the, that's the beauty of well, the too big to fail. That's exactly That was all it. legal. Yeah. I'd like to do it without having a politician in my hip pocket, though. Imagine being a bank. Think about the concept. 
You're an institution that takes other people's money, spends other people's money, and is the first one to get large amounts of federal money when money's just... It's brilliant. I wish you and I had gone back a couple hundred years and been like, you know what, let's let's do something called a bank. You give me money, your money, and I'll hold it. Right. And then you give me interest to hold it. Yeah, and then you'll pay me to take your money out and do other things with it. Right. Yeah. I like that idea. Man. And then I'll tell you what, I'm going to put up a couple little locations where I'm going to take more money out called an ATM. You know, I think we just figured out the perfect shell game. They, they, they've already got it, man. Works pretty good. Yeah. It really does. You know, I mean, well, that's, isn't that what the Knights Templar was all about? Was, was, and I'm being totally serious now. Okay. I mean, totally serious. Was that they were getting robbed when they were going and doing th- their work. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they needed a way to have currency, okay, the trading, the barter currency, without getting robbed. So they couldn't carry the gold from place to place. So they had to basically figure out a system. So it was kind of that debt system. It was kind of that promissory notes and all that. Yeah, Yeah, because then that allowed the Knights Templar to basically, from my understanding, they basically created the modern-day banking system. Whether they did it by purpose or not right. is irrelevant. But, but ba- you see how it's become such just a, a smooth operation. Oh, without a doubt. You know. Well, you know, you mentioned yesterday something that I thought was pretty important when we were talking about a few, a few of the um, just laziness when it comes to media and mm-hmm. everything else about the low-hanging fruit. About water and gas does the same thing, you know. Water always finds its level, yeah. You know, and and so that nature's I, lazy, fundamentally yeah, lazy, it, but it's efficient. Exactly. Well, it doesn't expend energy that it doesn't need to, without a doubt. And so, you know, to get existential Enron here for mm-hmm. a second, when you think of the Creator and you think of science, so you've got a religion and science type of argument that happens all the time. One exists or the other. There's never this, can they both exist? Yeah, it's a binary choice, it seems to be. And I've always thought they both exist, okay? That there is a creator and there's also a science. And when you look at what the Big Bang Theory is, the Big Bang Theory is basically a particle about the size of our our pinky nail, okay? Exploded in the universe and created what we have today. So... If you look at the way nature operates, which is the path of least resistance in term of efficiency, not laziness, but efficiency with the expansion, the exertion of energy, what better way for a creator to create something than what the Big Bang Theory is? You take a small little piece, explode it, and everything does the work for you after that. Gets the ball rolling. Everything does the work for you in a natural way after that. Mm-hmm. And so I've always thought that's kind of a neat way to look at it. And it kind of explains both sides and it allows the coexistence of it to work. And once you accept the coexistence of the two, boy, it makes life a lot easier because all those other arguments seem to be ridiculous then. Yeah, I to- <laughs> totally agree. Absolutely. Like, yep. check that box off. Yep. Okay, what's next? <laughs> Whether it's right or wrong, unfortunately, nobody knows until. Well, you know, I think there's a quote. You're six feet under. <laughs> I think there's a quote from Galileo, and it, it may be apocryphal, but I think he said that that God would be a mathematician. That is, yeah. I've yeah. never heard that. No. And so, interesting. That's very interesting. When you take but... the idea of planned creation versus spontaneous creation, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all math. 
whether you look at it from that point of view or from the other point of view. Well, I know growing up, you know, with my Sunday school roots and Catholic upbringing and, and altar boy and all that other stuff, honestly, I, every, every time I, I would hear something that, that had something to do with, you know, the, the, the religious um, encompassing of life, mm-hmm. I always looked at it from the science side. And whenever the science stuff would come in, I always looked at it from that other side. And that was just kind of the way my Libra mind always worked. And so when I got to be an adult and I realized, boy, people get really passionate about this. Well, you know, and just, you know. Like on one side or the other. Like some scientists, holy smokes, they're worse than some of the most. I was just going to say on either side of that argument. Yeah, you've got zealots. (laughs) Totally. You know, you've got zealots. <laughs> but on both sides, you also, whether it's creationism or it's sciences, you have questions that we can't answer. Science, there's plenty of things they can't answer. You know? so, so with that being said, to wrap up, because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here. No, be, this is a very important conversation because I am adamant about this. I do not want our shell company to stand for anything. I do not want us to take a stance. I do not want us to issue a statement. If there is some controversy in the world, I want us to be as quiet as possible. I would say that that is a very brave stand for you to take, except I know that that would go against your whole mission statement. So Everybody's taking a stance when everything comes out. Right. Look at social media. Some president comes out and says, hey, you know, anthem kneelers, flag support i mean you know what i mean it's, right, it's, right. whatever's in the news it seems like some company is out taking a stance on social media i do not want to do any of that not at all you're tired of a binary choice i want the checks to come in without anything going out <laughs> <laughs> all right that's like banks <laughs> with that that is sterling my name is jason Spees. that is our continuation of building the shell company here on the crude life morning show play hard work hard folks Email us studio at thecrudelife.com. We'll be back in a moment or two with some urban legends. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Play hard, work hard. Back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. We're still in hour number one where we're playing hard, and we're going to get right into the next segment. Look at that. It's a list of urban legends. Are you ready for a few urban legend myths? Break it down for me. Dialing 999 phone charging myth is an urban legend which claims that calling the police and fire services, then hanging up, Changing mobile phone batteries works. What? 
why would you even do that in the first place? I, I don't even know where that came up. Was it a couple stone guys sitting around saying, hey, let's go up with this app. And then all of a sudden, this app turned into that. Is that did that did that happen? And then it ended with a bag of Fritos. <laughs> well, I can't think of any other any other connection of that. But anyways, so. oh man, uh, Chupacabra, which is a old school urban legend. Chupacabra, from chupar to suck, and cabra from goat, literally goat suckers. Goat sucker is a legendary cryptoid cryptid. Rumored to inhabit parts of Americas, especially down in the Mexico, Puerto Rico, southern United States area. The name comes from the animals reported habit of attacking and drinking the blood of livestock and uh, goats. So that's interesting, urban legend. Uh, cow tipping, purported activity of sneaking up on any unsuspecting or sleeping cow and pushing it over for entertainment. Yeah, I saw Heather's. Remember Tommy boy. Yeah, Tommy boy. <laughs> Tommy boy, man. That's the most popular cow tipping around, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, probably. You were looking at a couple there. Which one are, are you looking at for urban legends? I was just... Well, I found one that's like a breakdown state by state. Creepy urban legends. But then I found a, a list of hysterical, ridiculous urban legends. Okay. So this one is about a zoo parking attendant in Bristol Zoo in England. So as the story goes, the lot was manned by a very pleasant attendant with a ticket machine charging cars one pound, about a buck forty, and buses five pounds, about seven bucks. Parking attendant worked there for all of twenty five years, then one day he just didn't turn up for work. Oh well, said the Bristol Zoo management, we better phone up the city council, get them to send a new parking attendant. Uh, no, said the council, that parking lot attendant is your responsibility. Uh, no, said the Bristol Zoo management, the attendant was employed by the city council, wasn't he? No, insisted the council. Sitting in his villa somewhere on the coast of Spain is a man who has been taking the parking lot fees, estimated at 400 pounds, about $560 per day, at Bristol Zoo for the last 25 years. Assuming seven days this a week, this amounts to just over 3.6 million pounds or $7 million, and no one even knows his name. I've never heard that one. But, you know, this kind of ties into some of our business plans, ideas. Well, I like that. <laughs> Phantom parking lot attendant. Have you ever heard of the sewer alligator? Oh, the flush down the, the toilet alligators? That's the one. Yeah. So... These date back to the 1920s and 30s. I did not know that. There was a movie, of course, I think in the 70s, maybe, probably 70s, 80s, about a sewer alligator. And they're based upon reports of alligator sightings in rather unorthodox locations, particularly in New York City. The New York Times reports the city rescues several alligators per year, some directly from homes where they're kept as illegal pets, Others where they're in malls, okay? But the idea is, of course, that they escape somehow from the owners, and then they go live in the sewer. And, of course, there's rats down there and mice. Stuff to eat. So they become the king predators. Yeah, they're the alpha. And apparently they must be able to live in that type of an environment of sewage. Sure. Okay, because there's a lot of water that gets flushed down with your urine yeah. and with your poo-poo. Okay. But this to me, you know, it's it's not so much an urban legend as it is, you know, a, a truth from time to time. 
I guess. But I guess the legend came from the idea of people flushing them down the toilet, right? As opposed to them probably just getting out and, or and going down a sewer line or That's what it's talking yeah. about is the how they got how they there got there, yeah. And and everything. So um anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. And then of course there's the curse of the Bambino. Do you know about that one? No, what's the Bambino? So the curse of the Bambino is a superstitious sports curse involving the failure of Major League Baseball team Boston Red Sox to win the World Series in the 86-year period from 1918 to 2004. And I do remember this as a sports talk show host that we'd always joke about the curse of the Bambino. And then again, when the Red Sox won it in 2004, of course, that kind of went away. But here's why... It was the curse, okay? The misfortune began after the Boston Red Sox sold star baseball player Babe Ruth, nicknamed the Bambino, Bambino. for $125,000 to the New York Yankees after the 1919 season. That was a lot of money then. Before that point, the Boston Red Sox had been one of the most successful baseball franchises in history, winning the first World Series and amassing five of the first 15 World Series titles. After the sale, they went, went without a title for nearly a century in the previous. Okay, lacklusters became the most successful. <laughs> right. After, so <laughs> the Yankees went from sucking to becoming yeah. the most successful in franchise history, and it was a complete flip. Flip, yeah. Yeah, and so that's where the curse of the Bambino comes that from. That seems kind of legitimate. They, I remember they they brought out the Bambino's family members to try to do sacrifices, right, to oh, reduce they, the curse. Yep. Boston yeah. embraced the curse and tried to figure out how yeah. to, you know, sacrifice a chicken or two to get rid of it. <laughs> well, hey, it finally broke. Remember Major League? <laughs> oh yeah, that whole uh, uh, the voodoo yeah. Joe Boo. Yeah, yep. That was right. such a great movie. Keep balls warm. Keep ball or keep bats safe. Wasn't there a religious guy in there too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's the guy that drank the whiskey. He drank Joe Boo's whiskey. Up your butt, Joe Boo. <laughs> wow. That's what he said after That's exactly he, what he said. After you sounded, he took the shot. Boom, dead on balls accurate there. So there's another uh, one for you. Did you have another one lined up? Yeah, there? okay. So this is uh, called The Wrong Bank. So one night shortly after midnight, two robbers broke into a bank. They expected to find one or two large safes filled with cash and valuables. Instead, they were surprised to see hundreds of smaller safes scattered throughout the bank. The robbers cracked the first safe combination and found inside only a bowl of vanilla pudding. As recorded on the bank's audio tape system, one robber said, at least we'll have a bite to eat. The robbers opened up the second safe and it contained nothing but vanilla pudding. The process continued until all safes were opened. They found not one pound sterling, a diamond, an ounce of gold. Instead, all the safes contained covered bowls of pudding. Disappointed, the robbers made a quiet exit, each leaving with nothing more than a queasy, uncomfortable full stomach. The newspaper headline the next day read, Ireland's largest sperm bank robbed early this morning. Weird. (laughs) These are ridiculous urban legends. Have you ever heard of Slender Man? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some bad, bad juju there. I remember Slender Man because my, my son was about five, six, seven years old when that was a phenomenon. Yeah. And it's still pretty popular. And I'm looking back, it's 2009 is when it originated, but boy, him and his buddies were afraid to go in rooms mm-hmm. because of Slenderman. That was the boogeyman, you know? That was, that was Yeah, that was the boogeyman. Right. Yeah. And so Slenderman, I didn't know it was an urban legend. I just figured it was kind of some movie character that turned into whatever. Uh-huh. But 
Uh, it's a fictional supernatural character that originated as a creepy pasta internet meme created by something awful former user, form user, Eric Knutson, Knutson, also known as Victor Surge in 2009. He depicted this thin, unnatural, tall humanoid with featureless head and face wearing a black suit. Stories of the Slender Man commonly feature him stalking, abducting, or traumatizing people, particularly children. The Slender Man is not confined to a single narrative, but appears in many desperate works of fiction, typically composed online. Fiction relating to the Slender Man encompasses many media, including the literature, art, and video series such as Marble Hornets, where he is known as the Operator. The character has appeared in the video game Slender, the Eight Pages, and his successor, Slender, the Arrival, as well as inspiring the Enderman in Minecraft. He is, oh, I did know about that. I, I knew about this, Enderman, yeah, too. Right. He also appeared in a 2015 film adaptation of Marble Hornets, where he is portrayed by Doug Jones, and where he is portrayed by another film, uh, where he's portrayed by Javier Botet, B-O-T-E-T. So, okay. Uh, beginning in 2000, one more sentence here, and then we're good. Uh, beginning in 2014, a moral panic occurred over the Slender Man when readers of his fiction were connected to several violent acts, particularly in a near-fatal stabbing of a 12-year-old girl in Wisconsin. The stabbing inspired the documentary Beware of the Slender Man, which was re released in 2016. Yeah. This is unbelievable, because as I'm, as, that was the first time I read that, by the way, folks, so I apologize if I butchered it, but um, that, that was the first time I actually did read that. And when I'm looking at that, all I could think of is the urban legends I grew up with was campfires I, and, and sleepovers. So we would go camping out at the lake or right, wherever, yeah. and we would tell ghost stories. Well, our ghost stories were essentially urban legends for the most part. Yeah. Okay. And then we'd also tell them at sleepovers. Now it's an internet. It's online. It's yeah. apps. The evolution of that is amazing. There's a, there's a whole. This is something my teenage daughters told me. There's this. Uh, it's called creepy pasta. It's basically. It's. I saw that. What does creepy pasta so, internet mean? Yeah. It's 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 scary stories. I think is essentially what it breaks down to, or scary fan fiction stories. Creepy pastas are horror related legends that have been copied go. and pasted around the internet. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah. I well, creepy pasta. I know, but. It, Slenderman's an interesting example because, uh, and it sounds like your son is about the same age. Is it they were at that right age where they heard about it? They were able to see videos, YouTube. Uh, it was incorporated in games like Minecraft, so it became their boogeyman. So I believe that Minecraft exposed my son to Slenderman. You think that was the That's, that, that was the gateway? That was the gateway, yeah. and then Slenderman exposed them to Five Nights at Freddy. Oh yeah, been there too. Which was a whole that's it's still a franchise thing. Yeah, right yeah. okay so creepy pasta other notable creepy pasta stories include ben drowned jeff the killer ted the caver and sonic's sonic.exe i have no one. idea what any of these are yeah. but clive barker okay do you know clive barker who found uh, hellraiser didn't Cl yeah pinhead 
That's Clive Barker, That's right? Clive Barker, the, man. from from Famous Horrors. He's the author, yeah. Clive Barker's Creepy Pasta, mm-hmm. focusing on Slender Man and Ben Drowned. So they, they even created a live action web series curated by Clive Barker. Oh man, we're living in the golden age of urban legend, really, with the internet, with YouTube, with with social media in general. I mean, you well, can I, start something and kick it off. You know, to me, when I'm taking a look at some of the urban legends that there were. When that movie Urban Legend came out in Urban Legend 2, that almost put an end to those. Like, that was it. So we needed new ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's where the, the, the creepy pasta and the Ben Drowned and the Slender Man, they came out of demand. Yeah. Because really, the nice thing about the Urban Legend was is that Nobody really heard it, but they did. Well, it, when I was a kid, at least, with the, the urban legend, you know, like it, it might have been something that's associated with Alabama, right? It's an urban legend in Alabama, but we get the same variation of it in Arizona. You know, it's the haunted bridge. It's the Mothman. The Mothman. It's the it's the chupacabra. You know, the spider bite. Spider bite. There, somebody always got bit on a hotel in Mexico. Right. You know, a week later, a thousand spiders came out of their eyeballs. Right, that one. That'd be cool to see. Yeah, right. There was always that yeah. one, and um, well, there was there's other urban legends too that came out of junior high that were just downright mean. <laughs> but it's the, the, anyway. Uh, talking from personal experience here. No, I just you know. Do you, okay, do you got a second? I got a minute. Okay, because this one is okay. is ridiculous. So yeah, I'll sit down here. This one is just a very isolated urban legend. It's just an outright rumor that ruined a kid's life. Okay, there was. There was a kid in our high school that um, another kid made up a rumor about. Because the kid lived close to a horse farm, Mm -hmm. they said that the kid had sex with a horse. Okay. And that followed him all the way through junior high, high school, and all this other stuff. Well, eventually, the kid who started the rumor admitted he made it up. Okay. Well, at that point, nobody cared. It didn't matter. Nobody cared because everybody liked the idea that ah, that kid sleeps with the horses. It's, right, yeah. But they'd say other things. Sure. It was very South yeah, Parkish. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and there was even <laughs> songs and noises and rhymes with his last name and all this different stuff. So you, you see where sometimes if it's fun, it can really, you know, because like when my son and his friends were afraid to go into that bedroom because Slender Man was in there. Mm-hmm. They were having fun. It was yeah. controlled. Well, fun. yeah, it's like that uh, that part of us that likes to be afraid. But you know, with that kid in the in the in the high school, you know, you got to change the narrative, right? No, I didn't sleep with a horse. I'm hung like a horse. I haven't. Speaking of hung like a horse, hippo eats dwarf. Hippo uh, dwarf dwarfs are always hung. They say. Yeah. So. Are we talking about the same thing here? I, I'm not sure what you're talking about anymore. What happened here? What, what was the headline? Hippo eats dwarf? You're just going to leave that hanging? What's the story? Would you stop with the words hanging and the wordplay here? We're trying to move on. Hippo eats dwarf. Don't leave me swinging in the wind here, man. So this is, I've never heard of this one. So a hippo eats dwarf is dwarf the, human is the tw- title of okay. a news article which claims that a dwarf was accidentally eaten by a hippopotamus. I'm sure there was nothing accidental from the hippopotamus. The urban legend has been circulating via the internet since 1990 or since the 1990s. Many print newspapers have been fooled into printing this story as fact. <laughs> the story goes that a freak accident occurred at a circus during an act involving a dwarf bouncing on a trampoline. 
The dwarf jumped sideways off the trampoline. Just at the moment, a hippopotamus began to yawn. The dwarf <laughs> landed in the hippo's yawn, accidentally swallowed whole. See, I want to know more. Did they try to get him out? Was he insured? What's the coverage there? Ewan Ferguson, writing in The Observer in 2003, said the story was a marvelous metaphor for the reality that life is not safe and you can't plan for a disaster. A hippo can get you at any time. I mean, that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic that um, that rumor took off to the point where it fooled newspapers. Yeah, where actual newspapers. Oh, that's not as hard to do anymore. That would be a great you wanna, segment. You want to get scared? That would be a great segment, wouldn't it? Newspapers that were duped. That were duped. Well, the Fargo form, the form of Fargo-Moorhead, they got duped like two, three times in a month. Okay, so... They're the same person, you think? There was a guy that... Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Okay. There was... It was oh, yeah. It was the same staff. Uh, no, but I mean the same person. No, no. The, different okay. people. So the first one came... And it was genius, and it was just absolutely brilliant. So it was these guys were outside shoveling. It was a snowstorm, and some some reporter goes out and he does a story, takes a snapshot, and they get the names of the guys. And the one guy gives his name, you know, John Jones. Okay, the other guy, he goes, he goes, you know, um, my last name. I'll just spell it to you: J O B E B O L O M E. First name Haywood. <laughs> Haywood, you blow me. They printed it. They 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 most sizzly act Bart Simpson him. Man. Haywood, last name, Jablomi. Type center was okay. asleep at the wheel there. Of course, talk radio blew up, made fun of the newspaper. The yeah. newspaper, I believe, printed a retraction. Not even a week later or a couple weeks later. First name Stu. Last name. Padasso. <laughs> Quote by Stu Padasso. You know, and that's weird because I've actually worked with a Padasso around here. That's what I'm saying. And the other way, Jablomi, you know, when when it's just spelled out, yeah. it just looks normal. And then, oh yeah, the first name, Haywood. Hey, there's a, <laughs> we got a lot of Norwegian and Scandinavian up here. You know, you get some interesting names. So it's not difficult to fit, to fake no. a newspaper. No. Uh, <laughs> so. But you know, you think just a little bit of, of, of thinking about it. Okay. A hippo and a dwarf and he fell in the mouth, you know, just a little common sense. Maybe, maybe follow up for a source. Have you ever heard of the black Volga? It's a Polish urban legend. Widespread across Poland, Hungary, Russia, the Ukraine. Is it Be Belarus? Belarus. Okay. This is the Volga River? A black Volga, okay, Greece and Mongolia, mainly in the 1960s and 1970s. The legend refers to a black, or in some versions red, GAZ-21 or GAZ-24 that was allegedly used to abduct people, especially children. What? According to different versions, it was driven by priests, nuns, Jews, communists, secret police, Russian mafia, vampires, Satanists, or Satan himself. Boy, they just threw everybody. They just everybody there, really. It's just sort of a blanket. Darth Vader? No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> the car uh, is described as having white wheel rims, white curtains, and other white elements. But it's a Gorky automotive or Gorky automobile plant. 
Okay. So uh, the, that's what G-A-Z stands for, apparently. It's that. But very interesting. I've never heard that one before. No, I've but, never even heard of that. You know, it's almost like, I suppose, the, um, is it the, the white caravan here? It's not an urban legend. It's more of a joke, which is, you know, don't ever help a guy put a sofa into the back of a van. Right. You know, yeah. and, or the white sniper van after mm-hmm. the DC thing. Oh, it, you know, yeah, you know, that's right. And then after Back to the Future came out, the Libyan van. Yep. You know, which which is the, uh, what's that, the... Uh, Volvo, Volvo, right? Yeah. The, the well, no, it was a Volkswagen. The Volkswagen yeah. van. The yeah. Libyans. Yeah. They're coming. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, that's what I called it. Oh, it's a Libyan van. Right. <laughs> My whole life, that's what I called it. So anyway, but all right, that's going to do it for Urban Legends, folks. That's a little bit of fun here this morning on Play Hard, Work Hard. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spees. We'll be back in just a minute. Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. This is the play hard portion, just winding down here. Sterling is out taking Frackleberry Hound for her morning business. Coming up next, we have Mike Marcel. He's breaking down that COVID stimulus package. What's going on out specifically in the Bakken and who is going to receive some money. So want to stick around for that. Titan Solutions, today's sponsor. Thank you very much, Titan Solutions. They provide containment solutions to prevent spills and enable companies to cost-effectively maintain consistent operations. Their containment solutions range from full-site containment to creative custom designs that address unique site issues. Titan Solutions also offers nighttime and winter equipment rentals that allow workers to safely work around the clock all year round. Check them out, folks, at titansolutions.org. That's titansolutions.org. Coming up next, Mike Marcel, entrepreneur, philanthropist. He's with Orange Property Management. He's got a lot in the game out in the Bakken. 
So he took a look at that COVID relief bill. We're going to have him on in just a moment on our Swan Energy phone line. That's our Swan Energy phone line. Of course, Swan Energy, if you have any kind of investment questions, contact Swan Energy. Check out the Crude Life Morning Show Played Hard, Work Hard show page for links and graphics and other email addresses, etc. like studio at thecrudelife.com. Studio at thecrudelife.com. If you would like to ask one of our experts a question or maybe you'd like to check out more about our sponsorship information or maybe you've got a band in your local area that you would want showcased right here on The Crude Life as our music, as our house band, like the Moody River Band that you're hearing right now. I'll tell you what, folks, I love me some Moody River Band. Let's turn it up a little bit. Mike Marcel coming up next, folks, on the Swan Energy phone lines right here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. We're just winding down the play hard portion, and it's time to work hard next. for the moment, you know, and then I'm on my way. With Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as. It is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention, bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Speece, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Hey, Jason, this is Mike Merciel with Orange Property Management in Fargo, North Dakota. Is that what you're under now because you got your hand in so many different pies and, you know, you're just an entrepreneur. You also do some nonprofit work for a number of years. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of the umbrella is called Orange Properties, but we operate in three segments. We have uh, the real estate and management side of the, the business. We also have a, a marketing side and a hospitality side of our business. And we also have an asset management side of the business. Um, the nonprofit stuff is obviously where my, my heart lives, and I wish I had a lot more time to do it. Um, but, you know, I've dedicated a little bit of time through this crisis to do more research and a little bit more uh, public informational sharing. And that's kind of where I've directed that 
part of my life recently. Well, you're uh, like many other entrepreneurs where you, your attention is needed in the business right now because if the business ain't around, you ain't going to be able to give any attention or money or resources or time to the nonprofits. So, yeah, and, it's been, and, and I'll tell you, it's a mixed picture out there. I mean, obviously, I'm in most of the impacted areas. Obviously, you know, hospitality, we, we operate Airbnbs and, uh, and apartments in Western North Dakota. So, you know, I have a, a fairly good insight in terms of, like, impact, um, how we've gotten through it. Um, and that's why I produced some of the videos I did, just in terms of some of that programming really did help a lot. It's just I don't think a lot of people are understanding um kind of the ancillary impacts and some of the ways that the dollars flow through that could probably help more people and not maybe just companies, but kind of the everyday individual citizen of the state. So before we get into that, I just want to take one more step back to give the listeners a little bit of context about your background. And, you know, you, you were out in Silicon Valley, kind of in that, in that startup phase uh, in California back in the 90s. If my, if, yep, my, right. if my memory serves me correctly. Yep, late 90s. So wow. you were a part of that craze. And then, I mean, you were also one of the ones that were brought in, in a, as a council member or on a leadership team to try to bring people back to North Dakota. Does that sound right? Yeah, so what happened, and this is where I first met uh, Governor Hoven at the time when he was first elected. And I was living in North Dakota, and um, they were doing a lot of events there. And I was, you know, obviously act, you know, excited about North Dakota and, so at one point they created this goofy kind of like ambassador of North Dakota position. And so they invited me to be a part of that. That kind of morphed into me working with the Department of Commerce on recruiting companies from various states to recruit them to relocate to North Dakota, which we were successful in doing with uh, four or five companies. One of the companies out of Pittsburgh was a small software company. And the CEO said, there's no way I'm going to North Dakota. So if I'm going to relocate, you have to go there. And so I ended up setting up that facility in Beulah, North Dakota. And that's actually what kicked off my, you know, kind of moving back to the state. And uh, from there, once I moved back, I just, I worked in the private industry, but I still did a lot of public-private partnerships. We built buildings in Williston, the first apartments that were ever built there. Uh, we built buildings in Valley City. We did an economic, de- you know, really an economic development remodel of Jamestown downtown. So there was a lot of um, connectivity um, between Commerce, uh, the governor's office, the Bank of North Dakota, and those local community economic developers. So I, I enjoy that a lot. It's uh, it's like a barn raising experience in North Dakota, or at least back then, it required a lot of different participants and constituents to to get a project to work, especially in a rural area. So during this the last year, I guess, you know, I, and you don't have to give me your portfolio or your balance sheet or anything, but, you know, you've got your hands in some different areas. You know, we were texting earlier. You mentioned uh, your restaurant, Maxwell's, that you, you've got a partnership in. So, Well, I, I did, yeah. You I, did, that's okay, been, that's, okay. That's been turned over, you know, that, that changed ownership. Uh, years ago, I do work with them as a, kind of an entrepreneurial coach. Um, I see. Okay, I've got a little bit of a note left there, but it's um, I do that as a because the two guys are good friends and and we help them. So I, I do help them a little bit on that. Okay, front, but that, I'm not actively involved at all. In okay, that's what I was wondering. Is and then you yep. know you've had some stuff in Arizona in the past and a few other places. Are the the bigger question I was getting at is that. Are most of your holdings now in North Dakota with, you know, the oil patch and in the Fargo-Moorhead area, that sort of thing? Or do you still kind of have uh, some 
some interests in different states and that sort of thing. Yeah, we, we operate a water company down in Arizona. And actually, that was a really amazing partnership we did with the village where, where I donated a parcel of land to the village that actually we just sold a piece this week. It's going to bring a fairly uh, large amount of money to their endowment, which just I'm thrilled about it. It's actually I have to put a bunch of work into helping them, but it's fine. And uh, we, we retained um, kind of the, the water operations to support building the value of. Um, so I still kind of am involved there. Um, we've gotten into a new segment, which is really kind of the uh, the service. This is interesting with COVID, with people not staying in hotels. We developed, we were doing this about three years ago. We we're working with companies on kind of like serviced, furnished residences that were like homes. And we, we hit that market before COVID. That's been actually one of our better segments. Uh, and that's in places like Deep River Falls. And right now I think we're working on Project Wheaton, Minnesota and, and Fargo and Castleton and all over. But right now we're really focused on traveling nurses and, and we've got a backlog of nurses. We can't find enough housing. So this week we're really uh, focused on that. Um, Western North Dakota, we do still manage quite a, a few units uh, in Watford, Williston. I don't own uh, really anything out there anymore, um, but I'm actively involved in third-party management. I work actually for other management companies out there as well. So we do have a fairly good insight to what's going on out there, which is not great. And um, so, yeah, it's just... Which uh, is not great. <laughs> which is not great. Uh, and I, I wish I could tell you there were silver linings. Well, no, there, there, there is a lot of truth in that because, you know, you mentioned that you, you know, you were very involved in Williston. In fact, you had the first public-private partnership, I think is what you mentioned with the housing industry there. Yeah, we built the first uh, new apartments in 30 years there, yeah. Right. So, okay, there, there, there we go. There's a great example of, you know, you saw how closely tied the oil and gas industry is to Williston. So, you yeah, know, and we only had to do it just as uh, anecdotally because I really got beat up in the media on that whole deal. Um, I got but, beat up. Oh, man, we're licking our salt wounds now. <laughs> but the thing is that we, it only took one public-private partnership to kick off the appraisal comps. From there on, the state and the communities really didn't have to get involved until we got into the big infrastructure needs. But uh, back then, they just didn't have comparable appraisals. So commercial guys couldn't even get in there and do anything. So once those comps hit in 08 and 09, that's what really kicked off the boom. But without that public-private partnership, it's kind of like the ice cream cone with NASA, right? Uh, without that, um, that that initial one partnership to kick it off, it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have gone. Oh, and, but, uh, yeah, Mike, you're an early adapter, and early adapters always take the beating. And then, the, yeah. you know, the, the establishment comes in and laps it up usually and that sort of thing. And that's actually one of the reasons why we brought you on here today because, you know, you know Williston, they're going to get hit hard because their, their industry is very tied to it. I think I saw over 30% is. Minot is only like 8% because they got the Air Force Base. Dickinson I saw 22%. You know, Watford City is pretty tied to it, that sort of thing, too. So when you take a look at this COVID money that's coming into the state and how they're distributed, Fargo, of course, is where the population is and really kind of controls the, the, the voting power of the state. And they've got a big water dam project diversion they want to do and five or six engineering companies lined up with new projects that they want to do with water here and there and everything. So you've looked into this. This, this millions and billions of dollars that North Dakota not only got, but is getting. So, well, okay, so let's, let's talk about that. Up. 
Yeah, let's just back that up for a second. So the way that it works federally with any of this stuff is that there's a state minimum. And when the COVID crisis hit, the state minimums was $1.25 billion that went to 20 states. Now, to give you a comparison, we got the exact same amount of money as Nevada did and as Arkansas did. Now, they have three times the, you know, actually five times the population, but that state minimum was $1.25 billion. So the small states always typically, in any kind of a big program, will, will disproportionately advantage just because of the population versus the, the, the minimum formula. Now, I went through and read the entire bill. I spent 40 hours on it. It took five days and <laughs> and we've got a very smart congressional delegation let me just tell you that because there are line items in there that are absolutely for north dakota and there's a lot of them and so those are not just part of the formula those are part of like special sort of what we would call earmarks or you know special allocations and um and that's more part of the bigger bill like the regular budget it wasn't part of the supplemental for the covid i'm calling it the covid too but realistically the way i read it and i might be completely off base but i think there's more money in this bill than last time uh when you factor in the health and human services and the school funding that they're they're proposing um there probably less money for ppp just because you're not going to get as big of a participation in that or idle um the direct payments is an interesting one because it's 600 it's it's a lot. It's 355 million direct to people, but at 2,000, you're at a billion three. So, I mean, that's an astronomically large amount of money for a little state with 760,000 people. Um, so, um, so if you look at the transparency on it, OMB does publish, although it's a little glitchy. But on the OMB website, there is a transparency tab. I'd recommend anybody that hasn't been on it. It's a really great tab. Um, it'll it's tell you just, Office of Management and Budget. Yep, 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 North Dakota Office of Budget Management, and there's a transparency tab. Uh, I, I, that's a lot of the information's there, but really they're reporting about one, about a billion dollars. There's 250 million that came in, but it's I don't know if it was necessarily reported. It might have been I don't know agency to agency. Who knows? Um, but what's happening in today's world? It's really tough, is because you know you have guys like you out there that are that are dedicated to reporting news, but there's no money in that business anymore. There's, there's no huge newsrooms. There's, there's a lot of, uh, self publishing and, 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 and if you're not gathering a bunch of eyeballs, it's, you know, doing the long segment reporting on budget stuff is not exactly Trump tweeting something, you know? So, so my concern has just been just, just transparency and, and, and not even transparency, but just communicating. I was going to ask, how's the accessibility? I've I've found that in North Dakota, especially, trying to get somebody from the government to return an email or a phone call is it's like a rare albino elk sighting. It just doesn't happen. It used to be okay when we had people working in the offices. What I've found is that when people have been working remotely, it's been really, really tough uh, to get a hold of uh people and i will say this uh, you know commerce has been really good about getting back with me and um actually on housing and finance uh jason's been really good uh about being real you know real communicative but some of the other folks it's just it's kind of tough 
I, I don't know why that is. Um, you know, it's just, it doesn't, it seems like there should be more accessibility, not probably not less, but, um, yeah, I know, I know it's, uh, it's frustrating, uh, especially with, you know, when I'm getting colleagues and school board members and people saying, so how, how is this going to work? And I'm like, Hey, look, that's like, seriously, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just a private citizen doing the research here, you know? So I think it's, uh, uh, it's just there's no real good way in today's world to get a lot of this information out. Uh, there's a lot of information. It's kind of like information overload. And so how do we pick the relevant things? Uh, because like in that bill, I mean, you've got 30 different areas of funding coming into the state. I mean, there's lots of constituents like private schools have a funding source in that bill, which they've never had before, but we haven't even had any reporting on it. Like, there's zero reporting on that. How much is Shanley supposed to get for that? Like, I've got friends and family members that go to Shanley, right? So I have no idea. I don't even know what they can use the funds for. Um, I, know, got, so I, I got two questions, questions, I guess. Two questions. Sure. Um, one would be, do you know, like, you know, the kind of the the energy industry and, you know, what, what is kind of allocated towards that? You know, in the last well, you one, just, you just said a four-letter word there, dude. What's that? You just said energy. <laughs> All right, isn't that That's the truth? Right. People, people don't understand that. People do not understand that. In fact, you'll get a kick out of this. I don't know if you're still single or not, but I am, and I'm on the dating app. Hey, let, listen, I wouldn't date me, and I certainly wouldn't marry me. Right. Well, I've never been married. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm on these dating apps now. And there's girls now that flat out say, if you work in oil and gas, swipe right or swipe left or whatever. <laughs> it used to be if you're a Trump supporter, now it's oil and gas. I'm not kidding you. I saw yeah, that. No, I, I started I, I, seeing that in the last few months. And I just went, oh, my word, you're kidding me. This has yeah. gotten ridiculous. So anyway, just to, before we get into that whole sidebar, yeah. um, just well, you know, I, what, I, what, I, what I, you I, might I, bullet point for people listening out there in oil and gas. And then my second concern, and we'll get to that after the oil and gas talk, but I got to be honest, I've got a lot of concerns about the amount of money that these states are getting in because I've seen what happens to ag. I saw what happened to ag when they started accepting money from the government. They all, they all went out of business except for about three, except for three or four different ag companies. So my next question is, is that North Dakota was known for a long time for getting a buck 80 or two bucks back for every dollar they put into the federal government. Is that the case on this? Are we turning? Well, I think, I think just if you just do the simple math on the minimum allocation, absolutely. But uh, just backing up to your question yeah. on oil and gas, specifically industry support, I, I, I think they were smart enough, in our, and not just our delegation, the Texas delegation, obviously, as well, um, in terms of just making it industry agnostic a bit, you know, and, and we got a little hell, you know, when they did, you know, sort of like the programs that they did at the state level. But again, where there's lack of media and transparency, it cuts both ways, meaning if they're not reporting some things, some of the money that might be going to the oil and gas industry, which might be helpful, isn't exactly getting attacked. So, I, you know, again, there's kind of two sides to every story. Um, when you're looking at it as unemployment benefit or, um, how, you know, rental assistance, which is a huge need right now in Western North Dakota, um, that's sort of energy agnostic. It's, it's not going to be industry specific. And so 
Um, no, I'm following you. I'm following you. Yeah, it's kind of like and, the old tobacco companies, you know, like when they went through all their negative branding and then they're... Well, and, and, and too, yeah. you know, you remember when the oil companies kind of got taken to task because they were they were taking CARES Act money and putting it towards away from kids to oil companies and that sort of thing. And, you know, and, and the matter of fact is, is that such a large percentage of the state budget is tied to the oil and gas industry is the reason why they were doing that. And that actually is the story. That is the story. And that, that never got talked about once. Instead, the low-hanging fruit is just blame oil and gas. That's how I well, look at it. Well, I, I got to disagree with you a little okay. bit on that. Uh, if you back that up and you look at when that support came, it was late in the cycle on this first COVID thing, meaning they'd gotten through the resiliency grants, they'd gotten through PPP and idle and everything. The, the truth is the, the state of North Dakota had money left over. And they were desperately trying to figure out how to get that money out before the end of the year, because remember, everything expired December 31st. So they were really there. There were programs that that didn't fully allocate, like meaning the dollars didn't all go out. And that, you know, to a North Dakota, and that'd be like Charleston Heston with his gun, you know, out of my, my right. hands. Am I going to send federal money back to the federal government? So they were looking for. Um, what was permissible under the rules of CARES Act. This is prior to the current legislation. They were doing the best they could. They didn't want to do something that was going to jeopardize clawbacks from North Dakota to the federal government, especially going into an election year. Now, a lot of that, as I said, has been clarified. Uh, some of that money has been rolled over into like a four-year plan where it, they don't have to give it back. It's just, it's, it's an allocation. I don't know how that's going to impact the allocations this time, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't get the sense they're, they're not well-intentioned. It's just like so much hit those guys so fast. And as we know, government's not a private industry. I mean, private, you know, entrepreneurs like me or you or others, we're kind of fast on our feet. And, and government is never designed to work that way purposely. So, uh, you know, I, I can't, I mean, who am I to criticize? I mean, I, I have no standing to do that. I'm just, I'm just dissecting kind of what happened and then maybe what's going to happen in this, this next uh, go around. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are you seeing? What are the bullet points? What did you take away from some of the different, uh, uh, well, how many pages was it? 5,000? Well, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that wasn't the, uh, that was the whole budget. Okay. The, well, you've done two videos and, and we've got our videos, yeah. the, the videos at the crude which if somebody wants to check out, but You've done a couple of videos now, kind of, you know, d d dissecting and delineating, if you will, the, the, the different aspects of it. So just bullet point a few that yeah, yeah, I've stand got it, out. I've got, kind of in, I've got them kind of in front of me. So, okay. you know, the, the stuff that I would say are really high, big impact areas, obviously, the, and what I'm not making a judgment call on it, but the direct egg payment per acre, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, that, that was something that was interesting. I don't understand it because I'm not in egg. But um, it looks like some of the stuff in this bill is incremental to the current programming. Again, I can't give you a, a, an exact number on that, but it would look disproportionately favorable to a state like North Dakota. Um, the school funding piece, again, this could be a, a, a huge pot of money. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at it on a, on a pro rata from population. I'm not even looking at it on the formula, but... You know, I, I was going to say, already I'm reading between the lines and kind of what you're saying is that North Dakota did really well. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, over $200 million at least for that. There's a child care grant for Head Start. 
there's there's child care grants of over two hundred and fifty million dollars. Now I don't know how they. I mean, I don't know that we have that many daycares in this state, but that's a whole lot of, you know, funding. Can they shift some of that? You know, what are the rules on that? How does, how much discretion do they have on that? Um, that's you know, what concerns me. It certainly seems like they, they've they already picked where the money's going to go. And well, so all no, the other daycares, I guess you got to go out of business and go work for I Head Start. I don't know that they have because this is so new that when I talked to Commerce yesterday, they literally were are, are getting seeking input because they're they're saying, Hey, we gotta get four or five different things out here. My recommendation to, to my recommendation to them was um, A, it should be broad based and everybody should be able to participate. I, I think it gets really discouraging when you've got you're picking winners and losers and you're saying that industry is is vital, this industry's not. Um, I have like, like I have a healthcare worker. She works at the VA and she's an amazing woman. One of my best friends and she got no help. You know, here's this woman working 80 hours a week and put her health at risk. And, 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 and there's no, nothing on the individual level. Part of that is we, we can't do things constitutionally in North Dakota, uh, individually. We have to do it through entities, but that might be a conversation. I'm going to say something that every you know, every legislator will come and shoot me for, but there might need to be an initiated measure at some point, allowing the legislature to directly pay people in the state. And I'm not talking about from the legacy, but I'm talking things like utility rebates or, or things that would be programming like this, where it's designed to get to the individual person. We saw that with West Fargo today, trying to give, you know, $25 gift cards, do something, you know? And so I, I constitutionally, uh, North Dakota is barred from giving any kind of direct payment to a person, but they can give my company money. And I think that that is a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if that's super fair and uh, might be. I guess I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I always knew that the reason that they never gave payments for oil like Alaska was because, you know, 93 to 97% of the state is privately owned. So no, that's not it. It's, it's, there's, I will have to go and do the research on it, but I think there's, Something in North Dakota Constitution says the North Dakota government cannot make a direct payment to no, an individual. I think you're right on that. Now that my you know my memory goes a little bit back in the the college days of some certain things, I think. You're and right just to on give that. you an idea of the Alaska Trust Fund, just because I have done a lot of this research, that's a sixty-four billion dollar fund that was established in seventy seventy-nine. Yeah. Okay, we have eight billion. Okay, we're nowhere near sixty-four billion, and they have about the same population, and there's a sixteen hundred bucks. I don't think that when you look at the the impact of that payment, it 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 basically trues up their higher cost of living up there because they have higher expenses, but it doesn't really have any economic impact. And and it actually there's some really good studies that show substance abuse, mental health issues when they make that payment. So I don't foresee that North Dakota is going to be real favorable to that. But things like using the income. In, in like, I'll give you a great one that I know that I can get 80% of North Dakota to agree to something right now. Watch this. Are you ready for this? This is the easiest idea I've ever, I've ever come up with. So we have the legacy fund. We're going to distribute interest on it, right? Let's just say we distribute last session. I think we did 400 million, 200 million a year. Why don't we take 10% of that and match it to giving hearts day? And so what happens is I give a hundred dollars to giving hearts day Dakota Medical Foundation matches that, and let's have the the legacy fund match two for one. You know how many 
we had 74,000 people in the state give to Giving Hearts. That's 10% of our population. Who would not get behind a trigger where I give my private money to a charity like YWCA, okay, or PATH for foster kids? And the Legacy Fund takes a tithing amount of 10% of the income and matches it to nonprofits. The impact on that would be startling. That'd be $100 million of direct nonprofit support to, to organizations that are highly efficient. And so that's the kind of thing that they don't think about it. And we got it, you know, like, like that's a no brainer. Is there is, is, is not going to a nonprofit, but I like matches. I love matches. Is there quite a bit of chatter about how to go after that legacy fund money no, already? No, because yeah, I've, yeah, I yeah. see on social media, a few of the, uh, Faux entrepreneurs around Fargo, you know, the ones that have been getting government subsidies for 10 years, that they're <laughs> entrepreneurs, they're already yeah. asking for the legacy money for them and their buddies again. Well, to, I to, think, like, here'd be one that, that might work. Okay, so I've, as you know, a lot of the kids that come work with us are loaded up with student loan debt, you know, basically right. trillions of dollars. But did you know that as an employer, if I pay a student loan payment, it's taxable income to that, that kid, Okay. The other thing is, what if we said instead of like we forgive their student loans or we, you know, like there's this one where, oh, they stay in the state for five years. Okay, that's fine. What if we say, hey, my company, if we agree to pay up to X amount on a student loan every year, the legacy fund will match up to that amount and it's non-taxable income to that student. That would be a hell of an advantage for somebody to jump across the border and come work up here if their student loans were getting paid not given, but paid with a skin in the game. You could do that as for every dollar the student pays down, the employer pays one down, the legacy pays one down. Those are like things where everybody has skin in the game. I think the problem in North Dakota is people don't like handouts here. I don't blame them. I don't either. And and I try not to, you know, like judge anybody for it because we all use these programs. I mean, we'd be hypocritical if we said we didn't. But right now it's so unbalanced, there's kind of no benefit for the average working person here. And they've been impacted, higher utility costs. Why can't we use the rural broadband grant? It's $7 billion. We're going to get about 15 to 20 million. Why don't we go to the PUC and have them do a dollar for dollar, just like we do at WSI, a rebate to the, to, to the, uh, to the customer? So can you imagine in March, you don't have a utility bill in March. That would be direct support to everybody. And that's not going to take money from the legacy fund or from the legislature. That's just a good use of no, this money that's coming out. No, I, I'm with you on that. Totally. That, that is a, that is the first decent idea I've heard in about a year, uh, you know, oh, well, six months. You. We'll talk it, I you know, whatever. Well, no, and, and I'll tell you what, I'll be honest because we, we've been trying to, a few of us, you know, uh, have been trying to come up with some different conversations that need to be had. They need to be had because whatever is going on is not working. It hasn't worked for 20 years, and they're continuing to try harder and ram. They're giving the same money to the same people and expecting different results, okay? And I know it's not Albert Einstein who said it, but somebody said it and said that's the definition of insanity, okay? So we keep doing this. Another conversation is, is I haven't heard one direct payment to anybody who's got a kid that they're homeschooling because well, but that's that's where the hold on though that's where this care this cares to act they, they have a homeschooler 
provision in there. But I'm talking about distance learning or whatever the case might be, because there's you know there's there's parents out there that have had to hire daycare or family members have had to have had to adjust their lifestyles and et cetera. And you know I'm not trying to pick on the lunch lady and I'm not trying to pick on the yeah. office secretary, but they're getting paid. They're getting paid. So there's a lot of executives that work for corporate America and a lot of government employees that have literally had a year off and. Two of my neighbors are politicians, and they went door-to-door campaigning. And they said that you'd be amazed at how many people said, it's like we're on vacation. When yeah. they, when, and, and you know as well as I do, people are saying that, that are getting the guaranteed checks. And the people who are getting the guaranteed checks are going out and saying, we're all in this together and blah, 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 and this and that. And now there's another round of money that's going to go to the same people again. So there's a lot of people very concerned about what's going to happen. So you know, it's, it's people like you that are going through this and taking a look at it and getting people information so they can prepare. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's done and it's happening, well, so we got to prepare. Just, it's, kind of, it's kind of human nature, right? Oh, I totally. Mean, sort of like, you, you know, the lowest common denominator of expectation is sort of like what a lot of people live up to. It's, well, and know, remember, it's, government's, government's role is the centralized power. That's their role. That's, that's what they do it's, it, because it's the most efficient thing to do. So, anyway, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll stay out of that that side of it. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that you're that you, you got to get a little nervous about is setting precedents, right? So these, um, you know, sort of like when a program gets enacted, it's impossible to take it back. And I think one of the concerns that I've heard from policymakers uh, locally and regionally, uh, not so much nationally because I don't really have those conversations, but is that we've set some precedents now that sort of have opened Pandora's box. Like, well, we had COVID and it worked just fine. And I mean, we didn't bankrupt the government and like, that was all just a, a ruse not to, uh, you know, cover everybody's healthcare or everybody's education. And so it's, it's, you know, it kind of, it, that, that makes me nervous because there is no free lunch. It, you know, it's somebody, somebody has to pay for it eventually. And so, I think that would be a, a broader concern of if we have nobody working, then like how am I getting my groceries? You know, like you know, like it's 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 goofy. I mean, this the times are really goofy, and um, they are. And you know, people talk about the new normal and all this other stuff. This is the new normal, at least it is for a while, because it, you know we're if you and I were talking off the air about whether there's going to be a second wave or not, or whether we got the herd immunity that's happened. And, you know, those are all questions that we don't know. But what we do know is every day there's a new story about a new strain in Europe or a new strain in Uganda or something. And, and we're literally just one or two days away from somebody saying, okay, shut down for 30 days. And you know this, in business, that's really hard to prepare for. It's really hard to prepare for that. So well, it's, uh, I, think, anyway. I think one of the macro trends, and I, I think they, they really need to, you know, nobody really, there's a lot of centralized power in Bismarck just because we have so many um, entrenched state, you know, kind of like interests. And it's a little different in South Dakota in Pierre. Um, you know, we have a lot less employee, uh, a lot less employees in South Dakota than North Dakota. I brought that up in the past. We have, they have a lot more people there. I mean, they have 150,000 more people and they have like, 20% less employees. Um, one of the things that is really clear to me as a business guy, having people work on a hybrid, they work remotely and they come in the office twice a week. 
or they're more efficient because these applications have become more efficient. There doesn't take as many people to do the work. I'm, I'm just wondering if, if one of the things people are not wanting to talk about in state government is, do we really need these people at this point? Um, you know, that mainframe issue, uh, you know, how many people, when we upgrade that to Microsoft, you know, like uh, state workman's comp software, do we need? And, and, you know, I've said this for a while. I mean, if you eliminated the North Dakota income tax and everybody makes under the median 67000 cost the state $65 million, but you'd have 100,000 people you don't have to, like, collect their taxes, well, that's going to put some tax collectors out of work in the state. But it's a throwaway dollar amount. And it would help a lot of people. And you don't think about it this way, but I have to track that as an employer. I have accountants that have to track that. There's filings we have to do. Uh, there's a whole industry around that, right? So I just don't understand why, like, the grocery store lady that makes 11 bucks an hour pay, pays a dollar of North Dakota income tax. It's like $28. It makes zero sense to me. Why don't we just throw that away up to, you know, up to 50000 or seventy five, like they did on, you know, on, on the direct payments, it would not impact the state budget at all. Do you got did you got they get the sixty five million back in sales tax anyway? Do you got time for a quick potster question? Because I think it's I, I got an answer to your question. Sure. So you don't have to answer this. This is you know this is kind of speculation and this is a little bit political. But there is some news here. So you know we we can you know we could actually break some news right now that no one will report, <laughs> which is. <laughs> Yeah, we're in our living rooms in our in our undies. Okay, let's let's break the news. <laughs> so you said you you've read quite a bit of that that proposal and that sort of thing. Now I've heard that there's there's certain provisions that you can get almost like uh, I don't know if it's write off money or you know kind of uh, forgave money to you know the, like the bank of North Dakota and 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 that sort of thing. Did you see anything along those lines that would lead you to believe that you know what I'm talking about? Now, are you talking about like the one where exemption know, they, exemption? That's the word. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so what happened is because we're the only state, uh, we're the only state-owned bank in the country. We're we're a unicorn and we're unique. That all state money that is collected goes through the Bank of North Dakota, including the federal dollars. So what they had to do, I'm assuming, I'm not for sure, but this would make logical sense, is that Hoven and Kramer probably went to Mnuchin and said, "Look, we need an exemption." that the bank of North Dakota is going to distribute those funds because we don't, we're not like every other state by state law, we have to put the money through there. And in every other state, those monies had to be used for grants. What the exemption would be. And the way I understand it, and I might be dead wrong. And Eric Hardmeyer might be outside of my door with a shotgun here pretty quick, but it's that they, they had the ability to lend that money as support. So yes, they were providing COVID relief but when that money gets repaid it's no longer a grant it's equity in the bank of north dakota so to me that that means the money didn't quite go to my company as a grant i don't want it as a grant but i have to repay it and it's a low interest rate one percent but the bank of north dakota became the largest covid recipient of any entity see now okay that makes more sense i got this email that i didn't I, I, but these companies have to repay the loan. Right. That that was basically the gist of the email that I was trying to see, which was, 
okay, the Bank of North Dakota got all this money, and then yet the businesses have to borrow from there, but because they're a state bank, technically they can get a okay. they can get it forgiven or get an exemption no, or for whatever. No, no, no. So what happened there is they took a portion of the profits of the bank as as a flex buy down, which they do it they do every day. They have programs for flex pace, okay? But what they what they allocated was a portion of that to do the buy down. They required over fifty thousand dollars of participation from the local banks. The reason for that is that provided the additional capital that they needed, and they levered up about a two billion dollar facility. That's like some of the biggest economic stimulus that hit the state that nobody even reported, and it has nothing to do with grants or giveaways. It's just that North Dakota companies had a unique opportunity to receive very favorable credit terms. And, and, and there were a lot of uh, little companies that did, and it was a good program. But the reality of it is it, it's not like those companies got a PPP grant. They're going to have to pay the money back. But I don't know that Mnuchin, I mean, he's a smart guy, but I don't think he really either had the time or somebody over there really figured out that that just doubled almost the size of Bank of North Dakota's tier one capital. That's a big deal. I mean, you got to realize Bank of North Dakota – is generating about 15, 16, 17% rate of return on their equity. If that goes from a billion to 2 billion over the next 10 years, uh, you're talking a huge amount of profits in the bank. Then, And they don't like that either because then people start going, well, why do these guys have all this profit? And legislators start saying, hey, wait a minute, that wasn't the intent of the bank. But at what point do we have enough resources and the businesses aren't even using the resources I was told basically on one of the programs that they didn't even have enough applications for it. At what point does the taxpayer start to get the money back if it's too much? And if you're, you're over remitting as if we're collecting too much and we, we are, we're collecting too much. I, I get the whole formulas. I get the constitutional trust funds, but when you've got four to $5 billion, even in a bad economy going into these sequestered funds off balance sheet, building balance that gen- generates income at some point or risk in another like, you know, common school trust fund. Take a look at the annual report. They lost $800 million in the stock market. Do you think that got reported? That's more money than they've ever given away in the common school trust fund. They lost last year in the stock market. And so I'm just saying you have all time record highs. You probably have the most amount of risk we've ever had for this $30 billion. And we have a, a mindset here of investment, we don't have a mindset of that's not our money. And so North Dakota does run as a corporation. We own 10 different entities that are really corporations. We can't by state law give money to an individual, but we can do a corporation. Um, so these are... By the way, I... I we have no fourth estate anymore. By the way, we have no fourth estate. So there's nobody going to hold them accountable. And when you are a dying media company and you rely on state spending for your marketing budgets... You're not going to be reporting any of this stuff. And most of the, yeah, most of the media. I just said a lot. That was a lot to unpack. Yeah, and I, I, that's why I wanted to circle back because I'm taking my notes here as I'm, you know, trying to figure out. I'm not, I'm not taking things. a position on this stuff. I'm just saying this is what it is. Well, and you brought up a good point, which is, you know, by, by clarifying what my question was trying to be, which is that it's more on the equity side of things is what you're talking about. And I, I get that. And I never even thought of that from the PPP standpoint originally, which is if that money funneled through the banks, 
and then they did it as a loan. Well, of course that increased their equity. Oh no, it was it was three times better for the banks than you think. You want to know why, right? Oh my, I know exactly. That didn't even occur to me. What I mean? Hold on. No, I'm going to tell you something nobody nobody's ever said. I'm going to say something that nobody ever talks about. I'm going to tell you something that nobody wants to like. They really don't want you to hear this. Okay, so when the PPP came out, there was between a 1% origination and 3.5% origination with no risk, just like a student loan lender would have if they did a federally backed student loan, right? There was some questions originally about, uh, is there going to be clawbacks? And now that has been absolutely clarified in the new legislation, there's no clawbacks. North Dakota banks lent in North Dakota, this is what you're not going to hear, in North Dakota they did $1.7, $1.8 billion of PPP. But what they don't tell you is in Arizona and Minnesota and all these other states, they did another billion dollars to those guys. Now, what you don't realize is when you looked at the statistics and you're like, well, why did North Dakota originate the most PPP loans? They're like, how is that even possible? Because before Wells Fargo and Chase and Bank of America could access the federal funds when they changed and the Fed said, hey, we'll buy the paper off your books, Eric Hardmeyer had already been buying all of the paper off the North Dakota books. He knew that they were federally guaranteed. He had the liquidity to pull that off. So what happened is they kept refreshing their their tier one capital and they kept getting fees. So North Dakota banks generated almost $400 million of profit. Now, what happens is that's fantastic because we ain't going to have any bank failures in North Dakota, thank God. But here's the next thing. Where do you think all that extra money went? It went into the treasury and the, and, and the accounts of the banks. Banks now have more money to lend out. Some of that went into certificates of deposit because people were borrowing at 1% interest from the state of North Dakota, effectively the federal government, and buying CDs at 1.5% and arbitraging the federal funds uh, to, to the North Dakota interest rate. And that money sitting as equity now and if you pull their call reports, they, all of them, they spiked up in the amount of capital on the balance sheets of our banks. I mean, that was like one of the biggest impacts that nobody understands. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm kicking I'm my, I'm, like, hey, oh, I'm kicking myself for not, not even seeing the bigger picture when I thought I was seeing the bigger picture. Now the bankers, when you sit down with them, they're like, oh no, no, that's, that's not that. This was so much work for us. And I'm like, how many loans do you process? And one guy goes, well, 500. And I'm like, oh, I can, I have a calculator. That's like $23 million of profit for the bank in 60 days. That's more than you guys made last year. Well, it's not exactly how it works. We had to add more staff. No, yeah, no, you can't even convince me. If just say thank you. That was awesome. Best program ever. We have a mini federal reserve in North Dakota called the Bank of North Dakota. Fantastic. We're the only state in the country that has that. So we're providing liquidity in front of the Federal Reserve? Are you kidding me? That's unbelievable. That never gets reported. Well, we have an open format here in the Crude Life to talk about this stuff, so we appreciate you coming on to talk about it because I, I, I at least I'm happy because I learned something today, which was I didn't realize that the banks made out even more than what I even thought they made out because they just increased their equity beyond belief. By, and the by other doing thing this. is, if they had troubled loans, they, so, they helped those companies access those funds and they cured up 
any of their trouble loans. So all of their questionable loan uh, reserves. Oh, that was the big problem from the get-go was that the bankers actually worked a weekend. They actually, because the, the, no, the, no, the no, PPP they, they stuff happened on a Friday, and then the bankers called all their biggest, their biggest debt holders over the weekend and got it taken care of. Well, it really shored up those companies. I mean, I'm, I, look, I, I took money. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be guilty as charged. I mean, it, I, pay, you know, I, I used all of it for payroll. I, I kept three people on staff I didn't have to. But more than anything was when we were running into rough times in, in the oil patch and in, in coal country, this stuff helped people stay employed. I mean, so don't get me wrong. This helped. I'm not saying this was a bad thing. It was a great thing for companies. It was a great thing for the banks. It was a fantastic thing for the state of North Dakota. But was it really a great deal for um, the grocery store worker or the guy that works at Casey or a tenant that works in the nursing home? I just don't know. And it doesn't feel like it was to me. Well, sir, what's next for you? As I kind of wrap up, looking at the time here, what should uh, people uh, know about well, you, I, I guess? Well, I think you and I are going to, you know, this new year, we've kind of made a commitment to do a, a little bit more uh, programming together. I, I love coming on and talking with you. I'm going to try to, if I have time, I'm going to try to do some segments uh, kind of explaining how some of these mechanisms work in the state without boring everybody too much but there's some fascinating aspects to this that are just flat out interesting and i think a lot of the information's out there just never really been organized and that's you know i think one of the thing is people do have a lot of time they're at home uh they've run out of content on netflix so you know maybe we we create some educational things that are maybe a little funny and and keep it a little bit lighthearted, non non-political. but it's um you know it, it really is the people's you know, it's people's money, it's people's state, it's our, it's our lives, you know, so it's, it matters. And um, I, I appreciate what you're doing. You've kept a voice open here uh, in very, very difficult times. Um, and so I, and I, you know, I'll support coming on anytime. And, you know, I, I'm just a private citizen like everybody else. with Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. 
commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices. The solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know, when you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Spees, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Mike Marcel with Orange Property Management about some candid COVID conversations out in the oil patch. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Mike Marcel right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. The way that it works federally with any of this stuff is that there's a state minimum. And when the COVID crisis hit, the state minimums was $1.25 billion. That went to 20 states. Now, to give you a comparison, we got the exact same amount of money as Nevada did and as Arkansas did. Now, they have three times the, you know, actually five times the population, but that state minimum was $1.25 billion. So the small states always typically, in any kind of a big program, will, will disproportionately advantage just because of the population versus the, the the minimum formula. Now, I went through and read the entire bill. I spent 40 hours on it. It took five days. And <laughs> and we've got a very smart congressional delegation, let me just tell you that, because there are line items in there that are absolutely for North Dakota, and there's a lot of them. And so those are not just part of the formula. Those are part of like special sort of what we would call earmarks or you know special allocations. And that's more part of the bigger bill, like the regular budget. It wasn't part of the supplemental for the COVID. I'm calling it the COVID too. But realistically, the way I read it, and I might be completely off base, but I think there's more money in this bill than last time uh, when you factor in the health and human services and the school funding that they're they're proposing. Um, there probably be less money for PPP just because you're not going to get as big of a participation in that or idle. Um the direct payments is an interesting one because at 600, it's it's a lot. It's 355 million direct to people, but at 2,000, you're at a billion three. So, I mean, that's an astronomically large amount of money for a little state with 760,000 people. To listen to the full-length interview with Mike Marcel with Orange Property Management, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our daily morning show and our ever-growing army of social media enthusiasts, energy enthusiasts. Go to thecrudelife.com, click on the social media page. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.